0: Demolition veteran Roy Gibbons lived through the golden age of the UK demolition industry. He rubbed shoulders with some of the biggest names in the sector and he crossed paths with some of the biggest personalities too. Now as he hangs up his hard hat for one final time, we're always looking back at over half a century in the UK demolition industry. But we start with what brought him to the industry in the first place.
1: Um well, it certainly wasn't in the blood. Um in fact, um a long-time friend, which was Mike Murphy, was my best man, and um, he was in, if you like, demolition. Although it was um, in those days, there was a lot of agencies that um, delivered hardcore and stuff like that. Um, and what happened? He formed a company called City Demolition up in Tooting, Southwest London, um, and he kept on saying to me you know, do you want to come and join me? Do you want to come and join me? And I said, well, I know absolutely nothing about demolition or anything to do with materials and what have you um, on that side of it. Um, and you said, oh, we'll, well, we'll soon teach and what have you. Um, at the time, I was working for a chain of West London grocers managing a, managing a shop in, um, in Acton, actually. And um, just got newly married um, with a baby on the way money was short so bob's your uncle i joined um city demolitions in about 1968. so basically um i went to work for mike murphy in a firm called city demolition in Tujing. um as i said they were in those days um all the materials really especially hardcore and hogging and ashes and stuff like that um went through agencies um there were city demolitions there was q transport barclay haulage um and all these firms basically got work with reps on the road and then let it out to what was (laughs) commonly called in those days hardcore jaggers um and they delivered on behalf and then came in once a week and got their money and whatever so um i went on the road for city demolition selling hardcore which I have to say at the time, I had no idea what hardcore was. Absolutely nil. And stuff called hogging, ashes, uh, secondhand bricks, and whatever it may be. Um, so <laughs> I soon got to learn exactly what it was. So I used to basically plow around all the sites, um, basically in London, in the southeast, going on to construction sites, finding out if they wanted any hogging, hard, um, hardcore, ashes, and what it may be. I um, got a price from the office, um, got an order, phoned it through, and then it was um, taken on from there. In fact, actually, um, the guy that used to do that um, became my partner, business partner, Tom O'Hare. He was the transport manager, if you like. So, sort of progress from there, um, selling materials on site, got to know a bit about that. Um, then came into the office, learned a bit about that side of it and what have you. Um and as the name suggests, they were city demolitions. Um, and every now and again they got um a large demolition job. Um, and that um again was subbed out to a demolition contractor that was on the books. Um and I was asked to go and site there and learn a bit about that, which I did, I think I spent about six months on various demo sites, um, working out exactly how it all got together and what have you. And the basic movement in those days, of course, it was very much um, done by hand. Um, there was very few machines as such. Um, most of the work um, was done by top men, which I don't think really exist these days. Um, they would dig down walls, building would be stripped out to a certain extent, and then walls would be dug down, which was a craft, which I think no longer exists, which is a pity in away. way, but obviously health and safety come into play there, and I can quite understand it, but it was a skill, Mark, um, at the end of the day. Um, and as I said, it's a skill that's now gone, and many would say, well, good riddance. So I learnt all how to do that, did a bit myself, what have you, um, and gradually sort of progressed from there. It was a good, good grounding, without a doubt. You learnt how to do just about everything. As I said in those days, uh, 360s were very thin on the ground, high buildings were done uh, with a 22 RB and all, um, and concrete structures were scaffolded, um, and you used the old Fashioned um, jackhammer uh, and compressor, of course, uh, to gun it down. So that was um, very hard work as well. I had a bit of that as well. Um, so basically, learned a lot about the demolition from that side of it. Um, and what actually happened then, um, City Demolition was part of another group um, and actually went belly up. Um, So that was me at the job, basically, and Tom O'Hare, my partner, my partner to be. Um, So Mike Murphy then decided to go out on his own, and he formed a division company called M.G. Murphy & Company, um, and asked us to join. So we then joined Mike and his own company, um, and basically then... (laughs) were deployed doing anything um, to earn your wages. In fact, I seem to remember the first six months, we were on a gut out in Paddington um, on the barrow and um, scaffold board into a skip and a handkerchief over our mouths and loading up um all sorts of stuff from the um, from the strip out into boroughs um it wasn't the most pleasant of work um and very thirsty work without a doubt but again all good grounding uh, as i said we had six months six solid months of that on the barrow it was a huge strip out in um Porches of square Paddingham. um and then different things from there again on demolition whatever it may be and then i think the following year there was a um, rubbish strike in London, again, probably before your time. Um, and the dustman basically went on strike, um, over pay, of course, and whatever it may be. And um, we had, I say we, no, it wasn't actually. It was Tom it was had the idea of bringing up these boroughs to say we could actually clear their rubbish for them. Um, were they interested? Um, and of course, they very much were. I think the first one was um, Kensington Chelsea. I think it was just Kensington in those days, and Chelsea moved a bit later on. So they were very much interested in, indeed, because obviously they're under extreme pressure in Kensington, which of course is quite a, a well-heeled um, bar. So um, we got an order from them. Um, and initially, I think they wanted 10 lorries and about 30 guys. To basically, local lawyers, and they organized for a tip, which I think was in Wood Lane, opposite the BBC, if I recall. Um, so basically, again, we got the um the guys with the tipper lawyers and what have you. Um, and then again, in those days, you went up to Camden Town to collect labor, well known place. And what happens, the lads used to gather up there about half six in the morning, and I used to go. In the car with, with Tom and Mike Worthy. Um and we say, right, we need 30 guys or whatever it may be. And of course it was one hell of a a struggle to um to get on board. And they basically get in the back of a lorry, or two lorries as the case may be, or as many as was needed, and then off we go, and we were given certain streets to um to clean up and what have you, take it back to a to a dump where it was eventually obviously got rid of um, and that absolutely escalated um, it went sort of from you know 10 lorries and 30 guys and I think in the end we're sort of hundreds of guys maybe 50 60 lorries and what have you and other boroughs actually rung us up and joined in I seen some of the above houses joined in as well in Fulham um, and it really escalated um, and although I said myself we did a good job and um eventually um, the dustman went back. Um, I have to say, um, it was a very lucrative job. Uh, we used to get paid weekly, We got with, with the invoice, We were paid out, whatever it may be. On the stem for that, as I said, it was a nice earner. Mike Murphy decided, obviously Mike Murphy, as the name suggests, was Alice, he decided to go back to Ireland. I think he bought a farm. Um, We got a few credit bonuses, Tom and myself, and we formed Lingard. Now, you talked about handkerchiefs as
0: PPE and manual demolition, but what are the biggest changes that you've witnessed in your time in the business?
1: Well, purely the really labor side of it is virtually non-existent, because these days the machine can do just about anything. It can select, it can demolish. Um, So really, it's gone from manual to mechanical. Um, and as I said, really a labor on a demolition job would, unless you're cleaning materials would maybe, would almost be a luxury because as I said, there's nothing you can't do with the machine now, you know, with the select to grab, you know, um, it does all the work that labor used to do. So the big change is undoubtedly it's gone from manual demolition to mechanical and, um, I suppose in many ways, it's been a big, big improvement, certainly from a point of view of um, less risk, should we say. But I I will go back to it. Those guys had a skill. I had a little bit of a skill in in top man. I wasn't brilliant. I could do two-story when he went up much higher. Uh, The old bottom used to get, I must admit. But I I will go back to that. There was a skill um, in being a top man. And as I said, that skill's now gone. And yes, you could say that um good riddance, but they were skillful people. I in all honesty, Mark, I never saw anybody have a fall. Um, they knew what they were doing, um and they dug it down by hand, and as I said, you know, it was very much a skill which is now lost, but there you go. That's progress, and I suppose it is progress. So the big change definitely manual to machine demolition is or certainly was
0: an industry of characters who would you say had the biggest influence on your career uh
1: well as i sort of stumbled into demolition <laughs> um the people that were around in my day um was peter griffiths who was very much my mentor in fact peter um seconded me or proposed me for the nfdc back in 71 72 i think peter was a great character. Um, he, had, of course, had um, Griffith's Demolition, and that's long before it called, became uh, Griffith's McGee, and they were based up in Dagenham uh, and were very, very big in demolition, very big. Probably one of the biggest, certainly, in, in London. Um, so Peter Griffith, definitely. Claude Brown, a character that absolutely um, epitomises the demolition industry, Um, a real character, um, and I miss Claude a lot. Um, had a lot to do with Claude, met him many, many occasions, both socially. Um, And, of course, I worked very much alongside Sid Hunt, Sid Hunt, senior, of course. Um, And, in fact, served as a um, vice chairman to him for many, many years, Um, helped him get the um, demolition engineers um, thing off the ground. Um, And actually, at that time, um, we started to put the foundations down to um, diminishing training as such, which then was very much going to be just in London and the Southern Counties. And um, um, both Sid and myself were very much, also Sid, I was assisting, involved um, in getting that sort of going course in those days it was very much regionalized and it was more um based which is one of my things as you probably know um on training on site um and basically what it was then was that if guys had had left the firm um for whatever reason and wanted to join in another another television firm um it was a situation where you could ring up the gardener of the firm that he'd come from uh, and providing there was no animosity on leaving find out a bit about the guy and what it may be and um, you know had, had he done his um his grounding spoke to speak on the job um and it sort of escalated for me, if you like and i think originally um we just did a more or less an in-house london southern counties um, situation where I think we gave out tickets to people that we knew that we actually knew. It goes back to sort of what I consider to be the right way in finding out about people. And that was a reference which seemed to disappeared now. People don't look at references, they want pieces of paper. And anybody can write pieces of paper, and I always felt that. So it was basically based on reference you'd bring up and say i've got joe blogs here with maybe yeah good luck Would it maybe you know um good on site was good at this good at that whatever it may be so yes yeah, so those three people Peter griffiths tall brown sid hunt senior stalwarts of the industry and real characters um which we don't seem to have anymore i think you're right the industry
0: has become so business-minded and homogenized there's just no room for characters anymore is there
1: Yeah, I mean, you're right. It seems to be now, and again, this is something that I've hit on, I think, a few times, and I think you picked up on a couple of mornings on LinkedIn. Um, More paperwork. People are more interested in getting pieces of paper. And I always maintain that quality paperwork doesn't produce necessarily quality work. Um, And it's something I've always looked at and thought, you know at the end of the day you shouldn't judge people on maybe getting a job on a presentation of of should we say quality paperwork um as i said when i repeat myself it doesn't necessarily produce a quality job but it seems to be the way it is now i mean you know some of the big firms have got whole departments churning out um paperwork and videos and this and that and the other light and which seem to be, you know, or seem to impress uh, clients and what have you. Um, and I think in some cases the clients um, put too much emphasis on on that side of it. To my way of thinking, it's a bit like if I was getting some double glazing done in my house. Um, someone comes up, tries to up whatever it may be. Um, I'd like to sort of look around a bit like and see where they really got their board and another job with it maybe and you knock on the door with those people and say um, you know I see you've used Joe blog to do some double glazing how was it you know yeah it was very good or mm, to be honest it wasn't too great or, or what have you but now it doesn't seem to be that clients will check up do references maybe even have a look at a site that the firm's doing um, they just seem to be um, infatuated with paperwork. And as long as that paperwork was good, um, they haven't necessarily got the job, but it certainly puts them up in the, in, in the, in the pecking, uh, pecking order, shall we say. Um, and I think more emphasis should be on actually vetting the firms on actually what they do and not necessarily the paperwork. And I'm not knocking some paperwork, but there is (laughs) very much a paperwork-minded industry as indeed probably a lot are. There's no
0: question that demolition today is safer, more professional, and more environmentally aware than at any time
1: in its history. But is it actually better? I would actually like, from a point of view of safety, I would actually like to compare statistics say, the 60s to, to date. Um, do you know, I, I don't know um, if there has been that much of an improvement. Um, you would like to think there has been, or is, should we say, but, yeah. Um, is it better? I, I would say probably, yes, it is in many ways um but not for what's gone into it because for the millions that poured into the training now the citb and stuff like that um and i think i wrote an article a while ago which i think you picked up on are oh, we trying to turn our blue collar workers into white collar workers um so yeah i i don't i don't think it's improved that much. But you'd like to think from the safety side of it because of machines. Um, although, of course, and we've had one recently, there's still plenty of with um, machines, um, which goes back to me, to training these guys on-site. There is no substitute for on-site training. You cannot teach anybody in a classroom. You can give them the basics and maybe how to fill in the logbook or stuff like that. You show them videos. But to my way of thinking, where our training has gone wrong in this day and age is that there's too much emphasis on the classroom and not enough on-site. Because that's where you learn what's going on, awareness of what's happening, um, and being aware of the activities. Um is probably the best way of avoiding accidents, knowing what's going on, right? And knowing that you shouldn't be in an area where it may be um, is it, the greatest way of keeping people safe. And I do think there's, there's not enough
0: on-site training. Unfortunately, I think the training process in the industry has just
1: become a cash cow. Well, unfortunately, we've created this animal, and, of course, this animal needs feeding. And, of course, the more stuff that comes on board, even if it's nonsensical and it's basic um, knowledge, if you like, of a site or, you know, well, there's a paving slab that's got, you know, uneven, I won't walk on it and fall down. You know, these days now, you need to write a risk assessment to tell someone, right, when you come on site, there's a tree stump there, mind you, don't fall over it or, uh Yeah, absolutely. Um, and... That, to my way of thinking, is where we wasted an awful lot of money, an awful lot of money um, on the concentration. As I said, on giving out pieces of paper, um, which clients look for, not all clients, I'm not going to put everybody in the same barrel, so to speak, but there it, it does seem to be a big thing on having pieces of paper. Uh, and to my way of thinking, when, I, when we had Button and Garb, if the guy comes for a job with his for a driver um of a lorry or a machine driver um i would want to see him uh, he bring all his credentials you know his, his license and and um uh certificates training like, or you know. but i would not want to employ him until i've seen him on site with a supervisor and to see what his Training says, or his driving license says, actually stacks up on the site, and you can do the job. That, to me, is the only way of actually looking at a guy and say, yeah, you can drive this lorry, or you can drive this machine. A piece of paper, to me, doesn't necessarily mean that the guy's good at his job.
0: Looking back, do you have any regrets or things you wish you'd done differently? Oh, well.
1: <laughs> As Frank Tonight would say, regrets, I have a few, but a few too to mention um i'm just trying to think do you know what it, it, it's it's a rocky sort of path isn't it you know it's like anything else is ups and downs um there's times when you think what the hell am i doing in this business um and then there's times when you get a job when it's a tricky job and you get it done nicely and the client gives you a pat on the back or whatever it may be and you think yes it, it, it makes it all worthwhile um so yeah you have to take the good with the bad um it's a very very competitive industry these days as you well know so um why am i doing it differently um hindsight's a wonderful thing do you know i don't think i probably will because it was a learning curve i made a lot of mistakes a lot of mistakes um but you learn by your mistakes uh, at the end of the day, so yeah, it's a bit like an apprenticeship. If you don't do it, you know, you don't come out the other side. You know, should we say, knowing the business? But so um, yeah, made a few mistakes. Don't buy them, and um, carried on regardless. Now, tragically, you lost your son Mark quite recently.
0: Was that a contributory factor in your decision to walk away from the industry? Uh
1: I need a moment. Um, well, we were selling the yard anyway. Uh, we had a very large yard, as you probably know, up in Hinwhehims, him, about six seven acres. Um, and the plan was um, to sell it, which in fact it had been sold for development. And I think they're currently building fifty-six houses up there at the moment. But the plan was. Um, as soon as we got that deal done, um, we would start looking around for a small yard, um, and basically scale down. I mean, we had sort of 20 of machines, lorries, and crushes and just about everything like. That. So we were going to sort of <laughs> almost go back uh, to when I started back in the um, the late 60s, um, and I would take life a little bit more easier to be honest you do need something to get a bed for mark don't you um at the end of the day um so the idea was for mark to basically manage the scale down company uh tom actually was going to retire as such and i would carry on with some of my contacts that i got um still wish to retain our services and in fact we still got a situation there now where people will want to get some advice from me and what have you so that's a bit of an ongoing thing that i'm possibly looking at so yes at the end of the day um mark's passing obviously put all that to i mean um as a non-starter um and yes it was that uh, factor because mark would be um, running the scale down yarding business um, and that wouldn't to be.
0: It must have been very, very difficult to walk away from an industry that's been such an important part of your life.
1: It's a lifetime, and I, I would be the first to admit that I I miss it, but obviously in lockdown would it may be things have sort of changed anyway. Um, and yes, um Mark's passing has left a big void that I can't fill anyway, and of course, on top of that, um giving up the industry as such as well which was part and part of that at the end of the day it was um, going to be carried on by mark obviously so that obviously then came to an end and yes um it hit me everything hit me at once to be perfectly frank um i certainly realized i was without my son who were very very close Obviously, we worked together, we went to football together for my sins. I'm a Queen's Park Rangers um, season ticket holder, and that's been for over 50 years. And Mark used to come with me and what have you, and we used to go around together pricing jobs. So, yeah, it left a big void. So, yes, very hard to fill, um, but I've got some very nice clients that have, have approached me and basically um, have asked me if I'd like to carry on um, in a way sort of looking after their work, um, in a sort of advisory capacity. I'm reluctant to use the word consultant. I don't like the word consultant, <laughs> I have to say. Um, so, yes, i am um, still got the odd finger in the odd pie, shall we say. But, yes, it, it um, does leave a big, big, um, a big, big void. So
0: after a lifetime in demolition, would you now recommend it as a viable career path for a young person?
1: and yes to my way of thinking if you're going to go in at the bottom and work your way up um yeah i i would recommend it um like anything it's not easy but you've also got to have a liking for getting up early in the morning working in all weathers um and obviously um long hours and of course probably you would want to have a liking for machinery as well because you would gravitate to driving a machine or you should do anyway um so yes and of course the machines these days are absolutely fantastic aren't they so in a way the excitement now for somebody coming into the business is a lot more than it probably was in my day because you look at some of the the tackle it's around now it's amazing you know absolutely amazing and um you know, you look at that and think there is a real, real skill in, you know, particularly driving high reaches. I mean, some of the high reaches now, what are they, like 60 metres on. something? So, yeah, can you imagine the thrill of, of driving one of those? I mean, I I, I drove cats and whatever it may be, and lorries and whatever. Um, but, yeah, I I, yeah, I would say, yes. You know, if you've got that that sort of... Uh, ambition if you like for something like it because it, it's a bit of a one-off isn't it you know it's, it's early hours all with us. um but actually when you demolish a building you know particularly an old building that wouldn't maybe maybe a bit tricky as well and then actually you get it down cleared it and then maybe in a couple of years time you, you drive past it I, I still do it to this day you go yeah see that building there yeah well it was a white pig of a building on there that we demolished and now you've got a you know school or whatever it may be. So yeah, there's a there's a lot to be had, you know. Not nobody's cup of tea, but it was certainly my cup of tea. What are you gonna do now you're retired? Um well obviously we're in lockdown, aren't we, to a certain extent, but I am I am looking at um, projects of various clients that have actually approached me and asked me to do such things and give advice and <laughs> whatever it may be. Um, I've always done a bit of writing, as you probably know, a bit like yourself. Not as good as you yet, but I'm getting there. Um, if it's know, any I'm... consolation, I'm really,
0: really shit at demolition.
1: <laughs> well, I'm pretty shitty at writing, but um, <laughs> as you know, um, I was the chief press officer, as you probably know. Um, and I used to write for the Sporting Life many minutes ago. Um, I used to have a regular column in there, actually. Um, so I still do a bit on LinkedIn, as you probably know, um, and post a fair bit on Facebook and one thing and the other. So, yeah, I try and keep myself busy. And as I said, I'm looking at helping out uh, some of my clients um, with a bit of advice, um, hopefully good advice. Given
0: that you can write, is there any intention of following Terry Cornby's lead and publishing your autobiography?
1: Oh, wow. Um Yeah, it, it's an idea. I'm not sure if anybody would publish it because there'd probably be too much. Uh, <laughs> as you probably know, I'm a little bit controversial. I, I call a spade a spade. Um, so <laughs> yeah, it would make riveting reading, but whether or not the editor would knock out half of it, I don't know. But yeah, I would. Uh, my wife keeps on telling me, why don't you write a book? Um, because I have been involved in quite a few things over the years one way or other uh, so i'm told anyway um but you know what it, it's sitting down in front of the uh, the pc and starting isn't it but i fair enough i have got bits and pieces that i've done and i've looked at them um and thought well i could use that bit and this bit and put it in there and copy and paste that and whatever you like but um yeah it's food for thought
0: as I said at the outset, you rub shoulders with some of the true greats of the industry. Do you regret not following in their footsteps
1: to become an NFDC president, Pat? I, I think you're right. I, I, to be honest, I've always been like that. And over the years, it's actually got me in a bit of trouble. Um, it certainly um, got me put down the list on a few NFDC things, as you probably know. Um, because if I think something's not right, I will say so. Um and as you say, you've obviously been at various meetings, but you you should be at some of the actual um, London Southern Counties region, which obviously you wouldn't be able to attend as such, or maybe now. But um, and yes, uh, if I didn't agree with something, uh, I, I would say so. Um, and in some cases, it proved to be right; in other cases, not. But I think um, I think to go to a meeting, just sit there like a a dummy and say nothing. Um particularly if you've got an opinion on it, you know, why bother to turn up? Um no, and I've absolutely. always had an opinion. And if people don't like my opinion, it's fair enough. They either share it or they don't. But yes, I've always been I've always been loquacious. I think we 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 touched on that word before um and I had to look it up and all someone used it against me once and said he's most of the quasis. and I thought what the bloody hell is that and I had to look it up in the dictionary and it basically means you gob off too much which is probably <laughs> what I'm doing now at the end of the day I was probably too much of a loose cannon to be present anyway because you have to follow a, a certain decorum don't you so to speak um not that I'd ever be speaking out of place or use language what it may be but um so I would probably have not made in the eyes of a lot of members a particularly good person be- because of what you just mentioned because I would um I would um talk about it or say it the way I thought it was at the end of the day so yeah I I held quite a few positions as you probably know I was on the advertising committee for many years I was on the membership committee going around vetting site Oh, 10 years i was the nfdc press officer for a couple of years um i got involved with construction line in the early days with the government there um meetings up in their offices um, um yeah all sorts of different bits and pieces and, and what have you um but probably too much of a um a loose cannon to become a, a good present in the eyes of um the uh, hierarchy if you like or would it maybe diplomacy was never my best um thing as i said i would never insult anybody i never have insulted anybody um and i would never swear and i'd never use language and, and if there were ladies in the audience but i would as you just said i would just get up and t- tell it the way i saw it and to a lot of people um they didn't like that. So I probably wouldn't have never had the um, chain of office put around my neck. If it was, it would probably me with it. <laughs>